Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the UX World, the voice user experience and strategy podcast. Today we've got a very special episode lined up for you today. It's going to be a very practical behind the scenes look into my first 30 days as a VUI designer. Well, not my first 30 days as a VUI designer. I'm not a VUI designer. <laughs> For that, we will need to find a VUI designer or some VUI designers, which we have done. So this episode is going to be absolutely fantastic for anybody who is either a newcomer to the scene or anybody who is a hobbyist. Now, there's lots of people in, involved in the voice scene who are really madly passionate about this stuff. And if you're thinking about turning this into a career and you want to know what options are available and you want to know what it would be like to work in the voice space full time, this is going to be a a supremely interesting episode for you. Uh, And if you don't work uh, in the voice space or you're not interested in in the design element of it, there'll still be plenty of insights in here, I'm sure, for developers out there and any, any more technical people as well. So, I did mention that we would need to find some VUI designers, and we haven't just found some VUI designers, we've found some particularly good VUI designers. Our guests today are from Emmy, and our first guest is Ilana Shalowitz. Now, you've probably come across Ilana if you've been anywhere close to the voice scene in, in recent months. She was at the Alexa conference in January. There's Alexa going off again. <laughs> I will mute her right now. Uh, and she is also going to be at the um, healthcare Voice of Healthcare Summit in August in Boston. She is Ilana Sharowitz, and hello, Ilana. Hello, thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. And Ilana is joined today by Brian Bauman. Hello there, Brian. Hello. So Brian is... Uh, so uh, Sorry, we'll start with Ilana. Ilana, you are a senior VUI designer, is that right? I'm actually the voice design manager here voice at design. Emmy. Voice design manager, fantastic. And Brian is a VUI designer. That is correct. Fantastic. So, before we get into the details of um, the kind of what it is to be a VUI designer and what your first month, Brian, was like as a VUI designer, should we start with the both of you to give us a little bit of context and give the listeners some context, a little bit about uh, your background and a little bit about Emmy as well? We'll start with you, Alana. Sure. Um so my journey into voice design, it's always uh, uh, really fun to hear how people got into voice design since it's uh, a relatively new field. Uh, so for me, I was always interested in communication for behavior change. Uh, so I studied anthropology and psychology undergrad, and I got my master's in marketing and then went into marketing. Um, but I found that wasn't for me. Um, but it was for design. So I was working in a wood shop to gain experience building physical products and designing them and on the side writing articles on health. Uh, when I spoke with somebody in my singing group of all places who worked in QA at Emmy and uh, suggests that I interview for the voice design job here. So, so that's how I ended up here and I've loved it. Fantastic. What about you, Brian? What, what did you do beforehand? Sure. I came to voice in a roundabout way. Um, I've always been interested in creative writing and communication, and I studied um, playwriting uh, in college. Um, But because it's hard to make a living as a playwright and feed yourself, um, I've always had to do other things. So I've worked um, in advertising as a copywriter. I've produced television. and I worked in nonprofit development. And most recently, um, I managed uh, research labs at two different universities, one in cognitive psychology, um, particularly related to speech perception and production for um, bilingual or multilingual speakers. Um, And then most recently uh, in a psychiatric pharmacology lab where the research was focused on how drugs affect behavior in in the brain. Wow. So you've got a kind of some creative experience and then also the on the psychology side as well. Yes, exactly. And Alana, you seem to have um so kind of a creative background, a lot of creativity in marketing, but also the, the practical side of stuff as well. Is that 
both of those backgrounds, are they what you would class as, as uh, maybe not typical for voice designers, but but a good mix of skills for, for a voice designer? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So all of our voice designers have both a really good balance between uh, a creative, creative side and then also logical thinking because we do a lot of mapping out flows of conversations and then thinking about uh, what, how can we end all of those conversations with having the goal been achieved. Um, and so you have to have that that thinking ahead, but then also the creativity to think about how can we usher the user through the experience to get there. Yeah, fantastic. And what about Emmy then? Do you want to tell us a little bit about Emmy and what, what Emmy does? Sure, absolutely. Emmy is a subsidiary of Walters Kluwer Health, and together we help physicians and patients make better informed decisions about their health care. The products that Brian and I work on are automated interactive phone calls that hospitals and practices and insurance companies send out to their patients. With our calls, they're able to reach out to their entire patient population rather than their staff calling each person individually um, to prompt them to schedule appointments, to send out standardized health information um, about maybe how to take care of a wound since they've just been discharged from the hospital. Um, And because we're interacting with the with the patients, we're asking them questions along the way, we can identify for the healthcare team exactly which of their patients needs a staff member to follow up. So let's say a particular person can't get to the pharmacy for their medication. In the report that we send back to their care team, uh, they'll see which, which exact person is in need of a staff member to follow up. So not only do we save the staff time by identifying which patients need their specialized attention, but also our products improve health outcomes. Uh, For example, a patient who has just been discharged from the hospital is less likely to return or what we call be readmitted if they answer our phone calls. Uh, So within the U.S. healthcare system, we reduce expenses and then we also increase revenue by by, um, increasing the number of patients who who attend their visits or don't come back to the the hospital. Uh, It's really a combination of our voice design techniques and clear writing that keep patients on the line for these automated phone calls and allow for both our clients and their patients to get the most benefit from them. Fantastic. And these phone calls are presumably conversational. So these people will be able to respond to whatever you are kind of saying to them and it kind of flows along those kind of lines. Is, is, that, is that right? Exactly, exactly. So each of our calls starts with um, a patient confirmation because here in the U.S. we we have laws regarding what, what health information you can divulge when to whom and usually it's just to the patient unless they consent otherwise. So we call and say hello, I'm calling on behalf of, and then it's going to be your doctor or it's going to be your hospital name for, for Kane is this Kane. And then the person will confirm it's them, then them, and then we'll go into uh, the main body of the message, which might be our records show that, that you're due for this appointment. It's important for these reasons. Can I transfer you over to schedule? Um, And you can say, oh, I already had that. And then we'll say, oh, well, when, when did you have that? Or it can be, oh, I'm calling because you were just recently discharged from the hospital and your, your care team wanted to follow up with you and see how everything's going. Uh, can I ask you a few questions? And then after that, I'll, I'll get into some health information uh, for you too. That sort of a thing. Cool. So the does, does that... For those kind of conversations, I know we're getting a little bit into sort of detail and we'll back up in a minute and, and back up to the, the VUI designer role in general. But those conversations, are you having to map out all of those different turns and routes that that conversation might take? Yeah, exactly. So because for explanation purposes, I just chose the most simple paths that we have, uh, but they can get quite complex. Our most complex one is... 30 pages of flows. And within those, we have um, what does the conversation look like over time? We have memory incorporated. So somebody told us this thing when they last spoke to us. So what are we going to tell them this time when they speak to us? Um, So last time you told us that you weren't feeling well, how are you feeling today? 
And then we're going to respond differently to them based on the trajectory of, of how they've been doing. So within, within the flows, you can imagine that there are all these symbols that, okay, store this piece of information as memory or recall this information as memory. And then also um, there are different symbols for how it works with our database, how we um, store, store the data for recall later. Uh, and that's all the that's all the voice designer laying it out, and then we work in collaboration with with the develop with the developer and others down the line. So, would you be able to explain for the people listening um, whether they are whatever their background is? Some of them might be aware of this role already. The, the role itself of VUI designer. Uh, I mean, if you just if you just look on LinkedIn, I've, I've looked on LinkedIn, and you'll search for VUI designer or voice designer or something like that, and there is very very little out there there's very few people who who are actually classed as a VUI designer at least from what i can see so would you be able to to explain a little bit about what a VUI designer is and do you say controversially do you say VUI designer or VUI designer yeah, I'll answer that last question first. <laughs> um, and I remember how strange it was to me when I when I first got into voice design that we say VUI. It, uh, for people who are who think about sound a lot, the sound of words and uh, VUI is just, seems a little bit silly, but that's what that's what we all call it. So um, if you want to sound like a pro, call it VUI design. Call it VUI design. Um, mm-hmm. Fantastic. And you're right. There are. There aren't that many people these days who are professionally VUI designers, although I suspect the number is growing. But when I think about the people who design voice interactions, well, you just have to, you can look at um, any of the skills or actions that are out there, and there are so many more people who are doing it uh, on hobbyist terms. Uh, so a voice designer to me is anybody that comes up with a voice interaction and again that can be anybody who does it professionally or just on on their in their free time comes up with skills so i think there's a real need here for there to be design standards and for people to consider okay what what will make a good design experience uh given that it's open to everybody which which is a good thing Uh, and for me, that starts with understanding understanding the users and the and the users' needs. So whether whether you do it professionally or on the side, you have to understand uh, what are the users' motivations, and then bring that together with with the key, with the key stakeholders in whatever you're creating um, to create a good experience. So I'll also say voice design is part of what people are calling conversation design, but I would be careful not to um, say that they're the same thing because within conversation design, we can also think about chatbots. And I see voice design and that sort of chatbot design as two different branches of conversation design. And I say that because when you're a voice designer, you don't just think about the words that you're saying, but you also think about what the what the texture of and the rhythm of the words are, which is called prosody. And when you're a chatbot designer, it's not about the sound of the words. It might be more about how they look on a screen together. Uh, there are some, there are some um, principles that they hold in common for good conversation design um but i would be uh, careful before before i combine them all into one yeah so what is then you've mentioned some of the differences between what a conversation designer and voice designer is some of the things you spoke about initially in terms of understanding user needs and and prioritizing things around the needs of the user that sounds very much something that stems from kind of the user experience design sort of uh, area is there anything um, different in terms of the the practices that you would do in terms of either the research to understand those needs or the way you would go about designing for those needs? Is there anything different specifically about designing that for voice versus designing that for uh, a graphical interface or a GUI as we should call it now, seeing as though we know the lingo? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> those GUIs. Um, so when I go into research, I like to think 
I like to go in with an open mind and just look at, hey, what's going on here? And then think about what are the tools that I have to address it. So if I have both GUI and VUI tools that I'm going to look at look at the, the overall user situation and say, how can I use these tools to best address that? And that's something we do a lot at Emmy too, because we do research with patients and we can't solve for everything. What we do is we look at what is the technology that we have and what ways can we be creative with it to solve uh, the needs of our clients and and patients. Um, so I would say that it the the narrowing comes after comes after the research when you're looking at what do you have in your toolkit. And what so you predominantly at the moment work on the the voice design for these phone calls that will go to people who are leaving hospital or, or what have you. <clears throat> Could you talk us through, and maybe Brian, this might be a, a nice time to kind of bring you in. Could you talk a little bit about what a typical project looks like and where within that project a VUI designer would fit? Sure. Um, so Essentially, a healthcare provider or a payer client will come to a, a representative at Emmy with a need that they're trying to meet um, with one of these phone calls. So, like, they're they're trying to close a gap in care, perhaps, or they're trying to bring people in for a particular kind of screening, and um, the the client services person will arrange a meeting where a contact from the client, usually a quality director or um, someone like that, will be on the call, the client services person, and then a designer will be on the call. And we'll have a conversation around what the end result or goal is for this particular project. So it, um, are they trying to bring people in for an appointment? That's great. What is their workflow? We identify the client's workflow. Um, can they accept a transfer in, or are they looking to just collect a list of patients who will, can then be followed up with later, things like that. Once we determine the workflow, um, and we sort of pin down the particular goal of the project, uh, the, des the designer, so I'll go, I'll go back to my desk and I'll start drafting a script. And the script looks kind of like a play script. So there's dialogue um, between, uh, you know, patient responses to the call and what the call content will be. And um, we'll map out a conversation that is coherent and also accounts for the various directions the conversation could go. From there, there will be another meeting where the client reviews that script and we kind of walk them through decisions that we've made regarding word choice or sequence of how we've laid out the dialogues. Um, once we get buy-in and approval from them, that's when we really go back and start mapping out the flow to account for all of the various paths um, and translating that script into um, specs that we will then share with our developer um, so he can build the code that will support um, the various component pieces of the designed call. Um, as that's going on concurrently, we have one particular voice actor um, who records all of our calls. Um, we book time with her. She's not, you know, here nine to five, but we figure out a way to bring her in. Um, and we give her some background on the particular call. Um, if there's like a particular tone we're trying to address, um, you can imagine a call about smoking cessation, trying to get people to quit smoking might be different than a call about bringing in people for a colonoscopy, for example. So there's, there's kind of knowing your audience and trying to communicate that to the voice talent so she hits the right beats and, and everything is clear and uh, legible to the um, the user, the patient that's going to hear this. Um, from there, once we have it recorded, we have to cut it into pieces um, using uh, audio editing software. Um, and each of those pieces uh, are mapped to the code. So if the call takes a particular direction, um, it, it will play the appropriate responses or, or the next chain in, in the dialogue. Um, once 
the code is built, the call is recorded, then we have to UI and UX test it. So as the designer, we go back and we we sit at our desks and we call ourselves on our desk phones with these automated calls and we act as the patient would receive the call. So we um, test all of the various paths to make sure that the call is functioning correctly. And we also, if something sounds off, that's where we can uh, make a note of it and arrange to have the voice talent come back in and, and re-record. Um, if the call does pass testing, hooray. Um, it, it goes on to a QA team who just does one final check to make sure that everything looks good. Um, and then from there, we launch the campaigns. The other piece that we provide to our clients is once the campaign is launched, um, anytime they would like, they can receive reporting on how the call is performing, how the campaign is performing. And so there are pieces of code within the call that match to different responses. So as a campaign is running, the client can see, oh, you know, we have uh, 300 people who are, have already signed up for their annual wellness visit or something like that. Um, and, and the campaign may be for anywhere between 1,000 to 5,000 people for that particular project. So it's just... Uh, there, you can see there's very little pieces throughout the workflow, but by the end, we deliver this phone call to them. Wow, that's quite a uh, there's <clears throat> quite a lot going on in there, isn't there? Like, so what I found in, there, was, there was loads of things I found interested in, in what you just said there, and I've just made a note of a couple of couple of follow ups. Um, the, the actual follow ups I've got will probably last for the rest of the duration of this call, so I'll try and be selective. What I found was um, really interesting was you mentioned that you'll have a call with the client to discuss a brief and on that call in the in the very first point of contact you have with the client there is a designer involved at that point at the very very beginning um that's that's quite a, an interesting kind of insight and is that an, is that a thing that emmy insists on or is that a thing that the client insists on or is that just a, something that that manifests itself Sure. Well, it's it's not always on the very first call. So we have um, client services folks here who are managing relationships with our various clients, and they they have a sense of what maybe a project plan is for the next six months with that particular client or, or group of people. Um, and so once they decide, okay, we want to move forward with this project over that project, that's usually when we are brought in to start scoping. Yeah, that's right. So. Uh, each designer has a set of clients that they work with. And so depending on where that client is in, in launching a, a call campaign, um, the designer will be brought in. Um, that said, uh, Emmy does also bring in, in its designers when we're scoping uh, bigger custom campaigns. So that's uh, during the contract phase, uh, which is also, uh, I wouldn't say that it's unique, but it, it's quite special because we want to see, okay, what is, how much work is this going to take? And we have to do some, some thinking in how the design will play out in order to say how much work is this going to take? Um, and so we do work with our business development team, our sales team, um, and client services too during those early early phases of contract signing to to make sure that um, all phases of the building and design are covered. Cool. So another thing you mentioned there, Brian, was once you've gone through the process of sketching out some designs and you might create a design, you then hand it over to some voice talent to come in and do the recording of the various bits of, of, uh, of audio. So is it part of a VUI designer's role then within the scope of that role to, to be the, the kind of person who's on hand to direct that voice talent? Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's a big, important part of the projects um, is making sure that as designer, we're always considering who the audience is and how can we best speak to the user in that way. So being that these are voice phone calls, you know, um, we want to make sure that uh, our talent is... Um, just informed enough that they can speak to any potential concerns that a patient might have um, and also guide guide the patient into the outcome that we're hoping to encourage them to do. So 
there's a, there's a little bit of convincing that happens um, in terms of we're not just delivering a message. We also are trying to shape behavior or push an outcome uh, for preventative health or to increase uh, something like that. <laughs> so is, is you're talking about outcomes there. Is the, the scope or the brief that you get as defined as that what kind of goals will the client set is it literally as defined as we want to have 5,000 patients do xyz behavior or is it more broad in terms of we want to try and see if we can increase appointment uh, appointment uh, turn-ups or something like that it usually depends on the client um there are some measurements that um uh, provider clients or payer clients depending um if they can demonstrate that patients are adhering to their medication, for example, um, or that patients are being seen regularly. So uh, it's more likely that if there is a, a problem down the road, that it will be caught early, things like that. Um, yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So okay. it's some and some kind of thing. So some things will be more specifically defined. Others might be slightly Sure, and, and and maybe Alana can speak a little more to this too. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so sometimes, as Brian said, our clients will come in with different objectives, and it and it also depends how familiar they are with our products. Um, so our client services team will work with them to create a calendar of specific campaigns, whether that be mammography, colonoscopy, annual wellness visit. Uh, to to deploy throughout the year, um, so it's the it's the role of the designer to think about more specifically. Okay, you want to do this one campaign. Uh, how can we best engage the patient for this one campaign? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And but just before that, backing up slightly, um, you mentioned that sometimes the designers might get involved in projects kind of at the contracting stage to, to try and understand how long a project will take or how, how much you should charge or what have you. What kind of things would you do to, to, to estimate that if some if you were kind of going to go into tender or what have you for a contract? what Have you got any tools or, or practices that you would use to estimate how much time and effort a project w- would take? Um, well, for the designer, it's pretty clear, uh, how much time we would need to spend for us, but then on the back end for the database team or the QA team, uh, we'll need to ask a lot of questions so we can design it. Uh, the developer, we'll check with the developer to make sure that, uh, he can feasibly build it. Uh, and then it's about asking a lot of questions. What else will we need to do? What other teams will we need to pull in to execute it? Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, okay, then. So we we spoke at the very beginning about the, the kind of skill sets that you might need uh, to be a VUI designer. And Alana, I know that uh, you... We found we found each other on the Slack channel, uh, the VUI designers Slack channel, and you were looking there to recruit some uh, some further VUI designers. Um, so we know roughly the skill sets that that you were sort of looking for. Is there anything that might be different about the interview process for a VUI designer? Maybe it's Brian, we can bring you in after this to get your thoughts on on it. But if someone was going for an interview as a VUI designer, what might they expect? Sure. So as I said, we look for people with a combination of the of that creativity and the, that logical thinking systems skills. Um, and in addition, strong writers um, and people who have um, a lot of empathy, which is something that you'll find common to, to a lot of design jobs. Um, and so we'll have them do a design exercise to familiarize themselves with our product and usually these designers haven't ever experienced voice design, or they might not be designers at all. Um, So getting them acquainted with the process. And it's really amazing to see uh, what comes back and see all of these minds working, working on the problems that we do and the different ways that that they approach it. Uh, So some of that will be what what 
responses do you expect to hear from somebody who answers the phone uh, to this question? Uh, some of it is about mapping out uh, a conversation saying you have this goal in mind. How do you imagine this conversation playing out? And then with the, with a specific text. Um, and then something I'm also interested in is how do you um, move a, let's say a client has an idea in their mind about, about what a campaign should be like, but you as the designer have this expertise and you think it will be more effective based on our historical data um, if it's presented a different way. How do you talk to the client and move them from point A to point B? Uh, and the last thing is, um, can you uh, can you uh, instruct the voice talent in what sort of tone is appropriate here, as Brian was talking about earlier? Uh, and beyond that, when you when you hear audio, what do you hear in it? Um, and I will say the first the first thirty days, depending on where the designer is coming from, because. Um, I'm involved in music. I was probably further ahead in listening to audio. Um, and Brian, because he's used to writing scripts, he was probably further ahead than I was in in the writing the content. Um, but developing an intuition for how does how is this sound? How is this uh, prompt coming off? And what sort of emphasis would I recommend adding or um, is there a word that I that I might change so that it comes across uh, more more pleasant or for whatever whatever goal we're seeking for uh, for the for the user? And so we'll we'll also look for that too. Where where is the candidate's ear at? Mm -hmm. Cool. And Brian, was there any uh, Google style questioning in there, like things to trip you up? Like uh, what would your approach be to robbing a bank or anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> there was an interesting question about how many pennies are in this office building. And it was sort of like a critical thinking right, question. Okay. Um, and You're giving away our secrets, Brian. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I'm just someone kidding. will have a leg up if, if they want to apply to be a VUI designer here at Emmy. But um, yeah, there were, there were a few humdingers in there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> And that's presumably to, is that to kind of see whether, how the brain works and, and on the practical side of things, Alana, is it? Yes, exactly. It's about how do you actually, how do you go about solving problems? What is your, um, what is your primary mode of thinking? How do you, how do you deduce uh, that, that sort of a thing? Exactly. Fantastic. So let's move this on then from the interview kind of stage to beginning the job as a VUI designer. We spoke previously about what a VUI designer is. We got into some of the detail about some of the stuff that you would do in a in a in a um in the role. We've kind of discussed then getting to the point of being a VUI designer. So let's then get into um my first month or your first month rather, Brian, as a as a, a VUI designer. Just to set the context, when when did you start at Emmy? I started August first of last year, so okay. I've been here for about six months. Cool, cool. So it's all relatively fresh then. Indeed, and I'm <laughs> learning every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That is good. So, um, what then? Let's just start at the very beginning. Then, what about the first day? What was what was your your kind of first day at, at Emmy like as a VUI designer? Sure. Well. When anyone starts a job, they're coming in midstream of projects. So it's not like the work began when I started on day one. Um, so the first and most important thing for me was just to figure out what is this workflow and where are we with these projects in the workflow? So to identify just geographically where the projects were or temporally in the timeline. Um, and then understanding what the requirements were at each phase of development um, and making sure that uh, I knew all of those component pieces. Um, and when I didn't, because I didn't, <laughs> um, knowing knowing to ask for those things. So I had a colleague um, on my first day 
literally give me a piece of paper with like a map of the workflow on it. And when I would be brought in to sort of um, support on a project or cut audio or whatever, they, they would point where on the workflow this particular piece was. And so after, you know, about a week of that, I sort of got a sense of the rhythm of the various pieces of the job, what my responsibilities were, and how I could best support the team. Um, from there, it was about another week or so before I got my first project that was mine um, in terms of you're going to have a call with this client on your own. <laughs> um, we're going to prepare you for the context around it, but you're going to have this conversation. You're going to need to find out these particular things. Um, you may have to talk them through uh, what our calls can or can't do, what we can accommodate, or and, and where we might have to get creative around the design. Um, and, you know, those conversations, just get better over time. Um, my, when I look back at, at the first calls that I had with folks, you know, I kind of cringe a little bit um, because, uh, you know, there's an element of, of just getting up to baseline and getting trained um, that I kind of had to fake it till I made it or something. But um, what, what I can say about that first day and then, you know, in the days and weeks that have followed is that it's a really interesting job in terms of problem solving. And, um, you know, there's a lot of puzzle pieces and logic that uh, needs to be defined. And th those are the kinds of things that I find very exciting. And then the other thing that's very satisfying about working on these projects is, you know, they're, they're finite. So you, you start with the idea, um, you're collaborating with the client and other folks um, to create this project, the developer. Um, and then at the end, it goes out into the world and you can see the results, like how many people answered the call, how many people stuck through all the way to the end, how many people responded with an intent to, you know, make an action or change behavior or whatever. Um, so in that way, it's, it's very satisfying and it keeps me coming back every Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. So Alana, it sounds as though you, you uh, started Brian off uh, in the deep end then, in amongst the few projects that you had going on. Yeah, you know, uh, client work doesn't stop and, <laughs> and we're hiring because uh, we have so much of it coming in. Uh, but Brian's been, Brian's been really great. So... Uh, something that I'll say from my perspective from the first 30 days. So it's about giving an overview of, as Brian was talking about, the workflow. What is exactly this thing <laughs> that you're dealing with in front of you? Um, who are the different teams who work with you? Those are all things that you would expect from um, your first 30 days at any at any job, really. But um, the uniquely voice design components are those mapping out of logical flows. Um, it's about writing in brand voice. Um, so we have a, a tested brand persona that we use across all of our products, uh, not, not just voice, and then training people to, to write in you know, this word's acceptable, but not that word, um, because we use plain language to reach the widest range of patients. Um, and more, more teaching about also the why, the why of our products, um, why they're so beneficial. Um, and then, of course, the sound component. So Brian and I sat down with some audio um, and listened and listened and listened and said, okay, what are you hearing from this? What am I hearing from this? And in a way, it's, it's, dis it's dissecting knowledge you already have because language is so natural all these interpretations that we have are in us, but then how do you how do you ask a voice actress to generate those sorts those sorts of emotions? Um, so deconstructing what we what we already know is a big component with that sound, um, and then learning to employ that in our own designs. And that also comes out through the audio editing phase too, um, and audio editing is one of one of my favorite little little tasks to do. Um, so I figured out that if you insert um, even breath breaks, it comes up 
comes out with a much smoother experience than if they're just uh, left left in um, like sort of haphazard length. So discovering those things and then also passing on that knowledge uh, to the to the new designers during those first thirty days to make sure that they have a, a strong foundation. Cool. Do you mean do you mean breath breaks as in the pauses in between what people are saying being evenly spaced out throughout? Yeah. So. So I'm talking right now, and then I might take a breath, and then continue to mm-hmm. speak, and then the the silence on either side of that breath sound mm-hmm. uh, being even. All right, that's interesting. <laughs> so little little things like that. Yeah. So when you said that you you sit down with Brian and, and you would listen to some audio and, and and ask questions like what are you hearing from this is that the kind of thing that that you would be discussing is the nuances of language or are you look are you looking for the the flow of the conversation or even down to the quality of the audio or what what exactly are you looking for when in that conversation what are you hearing from this Yeah both um so uh there is a series that that I wrote and then Brian took and he mapped out um, as sort of a a mapping exercise. Um, And when we were listening to the audio together, because the audio files go one to the next, and sometimes when you listen to them in isolation, it's not clear um, how they're going to sound next to each other. And then, so we had an introduction and then it was something like first, First, tell me, how are you feeling today? And it just seemed really abrasive. Um, Brian, do you you remember that? I do, yeah. It it sounded aggressive. (laughs) Aggressive, yeah. I think that's the the word that that I was looking for. Thank you. Um, Another another sign of a a good voice designer is we're pedantic. (laughs) Um, So it sounded aggressive, and there was nothing wrong with the way that the voice actress said it, it was just in comparison to the other audio, jumping right in made it aggressive. And so we added this line uh, that said, first, let me check. How are you feeling today? And we made it just a little bit longer, but because we extended it in comparison to the introductory file, um, it was a much smoother transition into the rest of the call and that beginning part is really is really important so we discuss how do these files sound next to each other and we also discuss the the texture of words so why you uh why you may use the word may instead of might so may has that nice rounded sound to it and then might has that that sharp sound and combined with that um, you know, it's a it's a very small difference, and do we know if choosing might over may will actually affect behavior down the line? Well, probably not, but it's part of the overall experience for the user. And what we've seen with our calls is that in engagement rates go up the longer that a client uses our calls. And so we have good experiences across such that patients are more willing to engage with us over time. You know, they're, uh, they're more accustomed to the calls, but also they don't, they don't mind interacting because we have a focus on this, uh, on this design experience. Mm. And presumably it's a bit similar to, I suppose, in this respect, a bit similar to web design or, or, or graphical design in that one small thing might not make a world's worth of difference, but lots and lots of small things stacked up over a call would then potentially have the potential to, to you know, when you mentioned first, how are you doing? That has the potential to create a persona in someone's mind of that voice persona, if you like. And then that whole conversation could be done in a completely different way, couldn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so one of the advantages of voice design is it removes the barrier to action. So versus a graphical graphical user interface where you have to click, 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 and something's done, uh, voice removes the barrier to action, as I, as I said. And when you, 
when you wear people down with these with these little annoyances, or maybe they're they're even imperceptible to the user at first, um, you're just putting putting more barriers up to action. You're you're wearing them down. You might cause more frustration, um, and you really just want to make it as plen- pleasant as possible to use this modality to its greatest strengths. Mm. And seemingly. Brian, in, in that kind of introductory period when you're being kind of take, taken through things like what does the what does the brand sound like and how does how do things work at Emmy and, and the brand's tone and the, and the way that it does things and stuff. I'm assuming that you must have found that relatively straightforward to get a hold of, given that you've been you know a playwright in the past where you are focusing on different characters' perspectives. Was was that a relatively easy thing for you to kind of get your head around? Sure. I mean, it it did take some guidance in terms of just understanding where the boundaries were, like between what is appropriate and acceptable and where things might, you know, steer us in a direction that is is not appropriate for the brand. Um, A a cool thing that uh, I was able to do, though, because we have to test the calls um, is, you know, during downtime or, or other periods during the workday where I wasn't working specifically on a project, I would listen to calls that had already been made and just, you know, through that accumulation of details and sort of like paying attention to how the calls respond if uh, they're not understanding a particular response, like what where the error recovery is, things like that, and just kind of um, what the quote unquote manners were for our particular phone calls, um, learning learning you know the how gracious our our phone calls are and then writing to that graciousness um was was something that i I think i'm still learning but uh i i think the background in playwriting has helped for sure so what what about some of the things then that you might have found um either challenging or some of the things that might have been slightly out of your comfort zone um either in the first kind of you know, a few days or first month or something like that. What what were some of the things that that were a little bit more challenging to to wrap your head around? Um, for me, sort of figuring out how the architecture of the call, in terms of the code, um, translates into the reporting on the back end. So uh, you need to build upfront in the call various question IDs and sort of like flag responses, so that on the reports. Uh, you can they're legible to a client and they can understand okay this is how the campaign is progressing um, just figuring out what that specific architecture is and and how those things relate to one another um, because it was invisible to me in a lot of ways in terms of I'm not writing the code um, just learning learning the relationships of the various component pieces and how the, the calls are built in order to deliver the reporting at the end. Um, that that was challenging at first, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what about now? Um, now, I, just this morning, I had to come in and, and build a new report. Um, and I did it in an hour or less, I, you know, while I drank my morning coffee. So there's definitely, I, I feel confident um, in those types of things. And now I, it's just, you know, nose to the, to the pavement, um, for Monday, you know, like come in and we hit the ground running foot to the pavement, (laughs) (laughs) but hopefully not nose. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So, so was there any, um, I mean, you'd mentioned a few things previously, uh, around intents and actions. Those are presumably VUI kind of terminologies. What, is there any other, or would you be able to define what an intent and action is first of all? And then is there any other terminologies or phrases that you've had to kind of get your head around um in terms of error recovery um if a call doesn't hear any response um we call that a a no match um and so we have to write sort of no match error recovery if if the call isn't picking up that it's hearing anything like i'm sorry i I didn't catch that could you say that again um or, or that's no input. I'm sorry. No input. See, I'm still learning. Um, no input where, versus no match where, you know, we, we build the calls with 
these kind of bucketed responses that we're expecting. And within those buckets, there are grammars. So like people may respond yes, no, or I don't know to a question, but it's more likely they'll respond yeah, or uh, uh-uh, or things like that. So um, l- the gram the grammars are are kind of what we tell the call. Like a yes can be any of these things, a no can be any of these things, and I don't know. Um, and then you know, through through the kind of sleight of hand of design, you can um, craft something that sounds conversational even though it's completely programmed around trying to, uh, you know, get the information that we we're, we want from the call from the patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what about intent then? Is is that a similar thing as it would be in kind of like um, in the kind of Alexa or Google Assistant world where an intent, I believe, would be something that a user is trying to do, almost like a command kind of thing. Is is that the same kind of thing in in on the phone side of stuff? Yes, it it is very similar. Uh, so yeah. that that matches there. <laughs> cool. And Elana, aside from the uh, phrase "vui," is there any other things that uh, that you think, phrase wise or terminology, that will be handy for for a would be VUI designer to to kind of get their head around? Uh, Brian hit on one of the big ones, which is error handling. So what do you say to somebody if you don't understand what they've said versus if they haven't said anything at all to you? Um, I think that can get a new designer thinking about the way that conversation works and thinking about how can we keep the conversation going and what is conversation like in real time, in addition to what Brian said about the grammars, like what are the different ways that somebody can respond to this possible thing? And then what paths are we are we going to um, usher them down when they respond to those things? In addition, uh, a new voice designer or somebody just who's, again, designing voice uh, user interfaces might want to think about which I mentioned before, which is exactly how are the words coming across? Um, again, the texture, the rhythm, the sound, the emphasis, um, all of that factors into that auditory experience. Um, in addition to that, um, listenability is a big one. And prosody is a is a part of that. You know, where do I place emphasis emphasis in my sentence, and also when do I take a little gap in my speech so you can process what I've said? You know, it's an, it's nice there that I that I took that little break to to allow you to process that that little bit that I've that I've said. But there are other components of listenability. So. You don't want to drone on for five minutes and expect that somebody is just going to be captivated <laughs> by what you've said. That Unless you want to um, use more storytelling techniques, that might be more effective. But there are other tricks that you can use, like asking questions in between, in between texts. Um, and so listenability is a, is a really big one. And people who want to practice that can listen to the radio for example. They can listen to the radio, they can listen to their favorite podcast like this one, and and think about, okay, how is the how is the speaker coming across? Am I liking this experience? Thing number one. And then what am I liking about it? What are the components of it? Is it is it the tone of this person's voice? Is it their pacing? Is it that they've taken a break at the end of what they've said before they move on to the next the next topic? Something, something like that, and um, that those are all components of listenability that somebody can practice if they're if they're just starting out. Cool, excellent guests and stimulating conversation. They'll be the reasons why people are listening to this podcast. I think. <laughs> um, so quickly, then we'll go around the two of you before we wrap up. Uh, two questions, and we'll do one at a time first. What do you enjoy most about the job, Brian? I guess what I enjoy most about the job is the collaborative aspect of it in terms of the team. Um, and and for any given project, I'm working with a, a variety of different people, a developer, um, a client, someone in client services, um, and and then also thinking about the patient. So like this, this, circuit that gets closed when the patient picks up the call. I, I think that to me is pretty cool. 
Cool. What about you, Alana? Oh, there's so much that I that I love about it. I think that what I find most rewarding is coming up with a just a beautiful solution that brings together what both the patients are looking for and what the what our clients need. That to me is really rewarding. And then along the way, as I said, I I love user research. I think it's enormously important. And editing audio too. The, those are um, those are the components that I really like. If if we're um, if we're thinking about my favorite things here. Cool. And then I won't say what do you dislike the most because um, we don't want to we don't want to put a dampener on things. But what I would like to do is to find. Every every job has bits about it that you probably wouldn't find on the job description and that are necessary to, to do the job, for example, writing up minute notes from, from meetings or what have you. So what are the things that, that are those kind of things, day-to-day administrative tasks that the VUI designers need to do? Uh, I, I guess I would say there's a there's a variety of different tracking tools that we have to use depending on who, which collaborator um, we're working with. So for example, we, we have to um, sort of keep status on the code development of a new call in one particular tracking tool and then uh, sort of managing the, the, correspondence back and forth or where we are in the approval process for the script with the client is in another tool and sort of making sure like all of those things are kind of moving in alignment and nothing falls off the radar. Um, I think that can be kind of challenging, uh, but it doesn't bother me. I don't hate that. It's just something that you have to be aware of and and stay on top of. (laughs) What about you, Alana? Anything that's particularly challenging or any of those um, necessary things that you prefer not to do? (laughs) Yeah. um, Reconciling versions. (laughs) Sometimes things will change with our clients and they'll want, um, they'll want one line removed or they'll want one line. One line removed is easier than one line added in because one line removed is just an audio added out. But one line added in is our voice actress comes in, records, edit, like that that whole thing. Um, and then when you have that across, so I have some clients who have multiple markets. So I have one one client who has eight different markets. And so I have uh, client contacts for those eight different markets. And sometimes they'll want uh, eight different versions of a colonoscopy campaign that all vary by like five, five words. And they're, they're all legitimate because it has to do with their workflow and it's going to be the best experience for their patients. Um, but my mind just uh, has trouble bending in that way. I have to, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. I, I had something similar to that. I used to run a, a, a e-learning management uh, piece of software, and there was one version in Europe which had about five languages: a version for America, a version for South America, and then a version for Australia. And every single one wanted a slightly different variation. So some questions were flavoured slightly differently, or some of the products weren't in for sale in this con- country. So it was yeah, it was. I can completely relate to how much of a nightmare that can be. Mm-hmm. Very finally, then, very last question: uh, What would your advice be? Uh, we'll start with you, Brian. What would your advice be for a would-be VUI designer uh, who is looking to get into the voice space? What would your advice be to them? I guess just um, to consciously pay attention to listening and to, as Alana described earlier, um, try and describe what you're hearing (laughs) in a way that makes sense to other people. So it's kind of just becoming uh, attuned to the voice and being able to articulate um, what you're hearing as well as what you want to say. <laughs> cool. What about you, Alana? Any advice for budding VUI designers? Uh, yeah, apply to Emmy, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> as I said, we're hiring a couple of designers right now, and so I'd be I'd be happy for more applications um, and to train you up. But in addition to what Brian said, um, I might go to a cafe and eavesdrop on a conversation and map it out. 
map it out and then think about what are different ways that this that this could have gone. Okay, that's that's uh, true user research, that isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Fantastic, nice one. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much, both of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. It was so much fun. It was really fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Elana, and thank you, Brian. That was an interesting conversation. That was a really, really deep look into the world of a VUI designer and not just insights into what it's like to be a VUI designer, but also some real practical tips in there for anybody designing any kind of voice experience. We talked a whole load about language, about prosody, about conversation flow and mapping and error recovery this is all stuff that would be entirely applicable for anybody building whether it's an alexa skill or a google home app or a uh, sorry a google assistant experience or whether you're developing on platforms like mycroft or or you are working in uh, a company that does things like ivr design uh, really really interested insights thank you so much to, to Elana and to Brian and if you want to hear more from Elana she will be at the Voice of Healthcare Summit in August, August the 7th in Boston, you can find out all kinds of details about that online, thank you to Brian, thank you to Elana and thank you all for listening and until next time see you later <laughs>